Love is a personal revolution. To love is to be changed. To be loved in a way that honors who you are is to be transformed. In our first series, we've heard all kinds of love stories. Stories about young love, forbidden love, long-distance love, and rediscovered love. And all of these stories start the same way, with a meeting, two strangers whose paths cross on a fateful day. Next? Well, next is the best part. They fall in love. But love brings everything to the fore. So, invariably, after falling in love, comes the challenges and tests. Unfortunately, sometimes these tests are too much to overcome, and our strangers who became lovers end up heartbroken. But broken hearts can be mended, and we've heard how people can make up, reconnect, and fall in love all over again. For our final episode in the series, we want to revisit and reflect on some highlights from the show and my favorite examples of meetings, falling in love, challenges, and of course, happily ever afters. I'm Tay Diggs, and from Sony Music Entertainment, this is You Had Me at Hello, the show where everyday people share their extraordinary stories of how they met and fell in love, and sometimes how things later fell apart. Love, its highs and lows, mess and drama, awkwardness and laughs. Come with us as we celebrate it all. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, let's start at the beginning. Whoever they are, and however they fall in love, every couple's love story begins the same way, with a meeting. And some couples are lucky enough to have a meet-cute straight out of a classic British rom-com. In our episode, Love on the Tracks, we met such a couple. The train now approaching platform one is the 0834 Southwestern Railway. It's a bright early spring day in 2012, and we're on an unassuming London train platform. You might have heard of King's Cross, the station where Harry Potter and his friends get on board the train to Hogwarts. Well, we're two stops north from there, at Finsbury Park, where we find Raj on her first day at work as station staff. When I first started there, one of the guys there, he said to me, he goes, Roy Dell's going to love you. 
And I was like, what? I was like, okay. I wasn't interested in anything. I didn't think anything of it. Roydell is a much-loved member of staff based at King's Cross. He's heard there are some new recruits, and he heads on up to Finsbury Park to check them out. She was on platform seven and eight. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was on platform seven and eight. This is Roydell. Um, I remember getting off the train, walking up. And when he and Raj first see each other on platform seven and eight, it's undeniable that there's a spark. He was in his uniform. I think he was wearing a silver chain, a really big silver chain. She had her hair down. I remember her smile. She had a wicked smile. I remember her. He's, he had very nice eyes and he, he has a very nice smile. A very, very nice smile. We were just, we were just talking and... And it's like, I've heard a lot about you. But this first meeting is fleeting. Roydell has to get back to work at King's Cross. But then I had to go, because I had to get on the next train. And he looked at me, he goes, I'm coming back for you. And I was like, yeah, all right. I laughed it off. Well, I said, I'm coming back for you. She was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just me being cheeky. And then I got on the train and I left. And there it is, a meet-cute that is short, sweet, and perfectly formed. Roydell was a man of his word. He did come back for Raj, and he's not left her side since. Though it wasn't an easy ride for the young lovers, religion and culture got in the way. But to hear that part of the story, head back to episode 11. Now, not everyone is fortunate enough to meet the love of their life on a train platform during a quick, unauthorized break at work. Sometimes, finding your way to the beginning of your love story requires perseverance and a robust optimism. In the episode, Always the Bridesmaid, we met wedding planner Lori. After years of disastrous dates, she was ready to give up on love altogether. But... When the COVID pandemic hits, she decides to give dating apps one last try. As everyone who is looking for love has been forced to stay inside and socialize online, surely this is the perfect time to try and swipe her way out of singledom. When I first saw Brennan's profile, he looked like someone I can definitely hit it off with and have great banter with, but I didn't think that he was someone I could really be with because he had a little bit of a player vibe. Lori's instincts are kind of right. Brendan was a self-declared player and party boy, but after years of living the bachelor lifestyle, he's ready to settle down. I, I read her bio, I see the pictures. She... In one of the pictures, she is like in a country, a foreign country. So it seems like she travels and stuff, right? And very articulate, dark skin, petite. So I used a super swipe. You gotta pay extra for this. Flattered by his super swipe, 
and intrigued by his profile, Lori matches with Brendan. But her suspicions about him means she takes things slowly. She made me go through the ringer. Text messaging her, text messaging like, hey, are you ready to video call? Do you want to, like, I'd love to see you. No, like, no, not yet, not yet, I'm not ready yet. Lori doesn't make it easy for Brendan. He has to stay open and consistent as they slowly build trust, not something a former playboy is used to. After weeks of texting and daily phone calls, Lori finally agrees to a video call. I'm looking at this guy that wasn't shaved, his hair wasn't cut. He's looking at me, and I look absolutely terrible, too. So we got to know each other in our rawest form. We both got the COVID hair, everything like that. We're at our absolute worst. After what Brendan experiences as an excruciating amount of time, Lori finally agrees to meet, and the pair decide to go and get yogurt. It's one of the only places open during quarantine. I didn't put on any makeup. I didn't really do much to myself because we'd already been FaceTiming looking completely terrible. By this time, it didn't even matter what she looked like because by now she's damn near my best friend at this point. <laughs> you know, I was gonna work with it no matter what. And I'll never forget when he picked me up from my apartment, it felt like someone pressed play and we had always been together. And just a year and a half later, Brendan asks Lori if she'll marry him and be together for always. They get married this summer. This story is one of my personal favorites because with the pandemic in full swing, Brendan and Lori couldn't know how things would pan out, but they tried anyway. It reminds us how important it is to stay in the moment and how wonderful things can happen when we do. For the full story, scroll down to episode three called Always the Bridesmaid. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wild Card wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So those were our favorite meetings. Now onto falling in love and letting the good times roll. This series, we've heard from couples who met and fell in love almost instantly. 
but one of my favorite stories is quite the opposite. You see, true love can be more of a slow burn. How slow? How about 30 years? In episode 12 and 13, Letter to America, we met Stephanie, based in the U.S., and Peter, who lives in Norway. As teens, Stephanie and Peter find each other through an advert in a magazine and become pen pals. Over the coming years, they encounter a range of obstacles that prevent them from meeting in person. When Stephanie is at college, she develops life-threatening blood clots that put her at risk if she were to fly. And Peter falls in with a bad crowd and spends time in prison, rendering him ineligible for a visa. As the years pass, Stephanie's medication options improve until one day she is finally given the green light to fly long haul. We've spent 30 years writing to each other, going back and forth, counting on each other, and now we have the opportunity to meet. We need to meet. So all of a sudden she sent me a message. How about I'm coming to visit you in Norway in a couple of weeks or a month or something? Whoa, you mean that? Uh, yes, she did. After a 16-hour flight from Chicago to Oslo, Stephanie gets a train to Lillehammer, Peter's hometown. Unable to keep his mind or his feet still, Peter paces up and down the platform as Stephanie's train approaches. When I saw the train arrive at the station, I had way more butterfly in my stomach than I had before two days meeting here. There were so many emotions, and I remember holding my breath, like having to remind myself to breathe. And I, I know tears were running down my face because it was so surreal. Only it wasn't surreal. It was just real. All roads had led them there. Every letter had contributed to the story being written this way. This is the moment they had imagined, and it's happening now. Stephanie and Peter lay eyes on each other and all the fear and anxiety melts away. It felt natural. And she, of course, saw me and I saw her. So I just walked towards her and gave her a hug. And she hugged me back and said, hi, nice to see you, Steph. And she said, hi, nice to see you too. Here we are meeting each other for the first time after writing each other for almost 25 years, 30 years. And we laughed because that was awesome. It really was. They drive home in a blizzard, like they are the only two people in the world. They talk and talk and can't stop. It's just like it was in writing, on the phone and on video. Well, actually, it's better. It's so much better. We were sitting in his apartment, and we had just been talking and, and going back and forth on, on something. And I said, oh, my gosh, my stomach hurts. And he's like, oh, no, are you sick? And I said, no, we've been laughing so much. My stomach hurts so bad, I don't know that I can stand up. And we were just laughed the entire time. When Stephanie and Peter imagined what it would feel like to meet, they often contemplated how they would manage if things didn't go well. 
What they did far less was consider what it would be like if they actually hit it off and connected instantly. What it would be like if their gut feeling that they would be perfect together was proven to be true. I don't think either one of us could fully accept that this is where we were, that we had had made it to this point, that we were right there with each other, that he was right next to me, that we were laying right next to each other. And this person that knows everything about me is is here holding my hand, is is hugging me. And yeah, it, it was... I, I have a hard time finding the words to express it because I don't know that there's anything powerful enough to say how incredible those moments were. We hold each other, arms around each other, and uh, when it was time to say goodnight, it was natural to give her a goodnight kiss. It felt natural to kiss her. You make me feel like a teenager again. <laughs> Their love was worth waiting for, traveling for, and holding on to hope for. That's episode 12 and 13 for the full story. Now, on to the tougher stuff. Because the honeymoon phase can't last forever. Sometimes, people have to go their separate ways so that a better thing can come together later in life. In episode six, Revenge Prom, we met two people for whom this was undoubtedly true, Jeff and Kelly. Jeff and Kelly meet in small town Iowa in the late 1970s. After dating for just over a year, Jeff, in his senior year of high school and with prom just around the corner, is looking ahead to college. I had plans to go to a, a small liberal arts college that was across the state. I was quite aware that, you know, very soon I'd be going here and she'd be, you know, back home. Kelly is a junior, and Jeff's imminent departure leaves her haunted by feelings of insecurity and doubt. She's acutely aware that she will soon be left behind. I didn't want to get hurt. I didn't want him to come back from college one day and say, oh, hey, Kel, I've got a new girlfriend. See ya. The school day is about to start, and Jeff is late to band practice. I'm dragging my horn over my uh, and my books uh, into the band room, and uh, a couple of Kelly's friends kind of blocked my way and said, uh, Okay, uh, Jeff, Kelly really uh, needs to see you right away. She's got something she needs to talk to you about. It's very important. And uh, you need to go talk to her before class. So he goes in search of Kelly. She's sitting on a piano bench. And uh, uh, I walk in the room, and I'm, like, sweaty and exasperated and late. And I'm going, Kel, what's up? As Jeff stands in front of Kelly by the piano, she's hit by the gravity of what she's about to do. Jeff is her best friend, her musical partner, her first true love. But all the music they've made together can't drown out the fear that their relationship is going to ultimately, and very soon, leave her brokenhearted. 
And uh, she looks at me and kind of teary, and she immediately says, uh, Jeff, I think, I think we need to break up. Just completely out of left field. I did not see this coming. Jeff tries his best to get answers, but with Kelly in tears and band practice starting, he doesn't have enough time to figure out how. I felt so horrible about what I had done. I have blocked it out. Kelly may find it hard to recall the finer details, but for Jeff, this day is seared in his memory. It's a moment of deep sadness and confusion, and the timing could not have been worse. So she's hitting me with uh, the, the breakup three weeks before prom. Uh, I just bought a suit. It was being tailored as we spoke. In a last-ditch attempt, Jeff tries to turn it around. He wants to find a sign that she doesn't really mean it. Eye contact, body language, a word. He really wants her to say something. I'm getting ready to leave this tiny little room, and we go in for the breakup hug. And, uh, you know, the guy always thinks, well, you do the breakup hug, and maybe she'll change your mind. No, that does not happen. The breakup hug is goodbye, fellas. If you haven't experienced it, you know, that is not your last chance. That's the exit window. Jeff picks up his horn, opens the practice room door, and just as he's about to step into the hallway, Kelly does find the words. But we're still going to prom, right? Ooh. Jeff reluctantly agrees, but secretly hatches a plan with one of his friends to sabotage Kelly's prom night. He succeeds, but the price of that success is whatever chance he had at friendship with Kelly. After more than 20 years of regret over the way their relationship ended, Jeff and Kelly reunited at a school reunion a few years back. The passing of time did nothing to dull their memories of each other. And after coming clean about how they really felt and the choices that they made back then, Jeff and Kelly gained a fresh perspective and regained their valuable friendship. You know, ever since he asked me if he could tell the story, he's like, what do you think? I just said, bring it on, buddy. Just bring it on. You know, um, it has taken that wall back down and we can just be who we are as adults now and be good friends. After recording their episode for the podcast, Kelly was tragically killed in a car accident. We were devastated when we heard the news and we can only imagine the impact on those who knew and loved her. Our hearts go out to them and to Jeff, whose life she has eternally touched. We dedicate this episode to Kelly. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Now for the final chapter, the part that all true romantics hope for, the happily ever after. We're pleased to say that most of our couples in this series got their perfect ending, even if the journey to get there was difficult at times. In episodes seven and eight, Fighting with Pride, we met Ruth and Ju. Ruth and Ju, short for Julia, meet in the 1990s while serving in the British Army. At this time, it's still against the rules for lesbians, gay men, and bisexual people to serve in the armed forces. They fall in love, and to protect themselves, they are forced to keep their relationship a secret. If they're found out, they'll be dishonorably discharged from the army and lose not only their jobs, but their pensions. They could even be sent to prison. Although the army cannot prove they're together, Ruth and Jew are subject to bullying, harassment, room raids, and interrogations about their sexuality and relationship. The pressure inevitably becomes too much, and their relationship crumbles under its weight. After the last time I seen her, I was just heartbroken on so many levels. I couldn't see any light anywhere especially the way I ended the relationship. Ruth was heartbroken. I thought that was it, I'll never see her again. That is until almost 25 years later, when they're reunited through Facebook and instantly pick up where they left off. And it was so weird because it was like we'd never, ever been apart. She had her eyes, beautiful eyes, the wonderful smile, her whole persona. And I could feel then that we were back. That was it. After 25 years, whoa, magic. It was magic, yeah. Nothing was going to stop us now, nothing. For those who are lucky enough to have a second chance at love and reunite with an old flame, coming back together again can feel like a miracle designed by some heavenly power. It can feel even more meaningful and the connection even deeper because they know the storms they had to weather in order to bask in the sunshine. Ruth and Ju are two such people. you you just make me feel safe whenever I'm with you and I know that wherever I am and if I need you you're you're gonna be there and I know that you'll come and get me you're my protector you're my soulmate you're my person there who I speak to all the time and the love that I have for you is always there and I love you with all my heart and you feels the same about Ruth 
Uh, <laughs> oh, love. <laughs> oh, Ruth. I thought our love was deep in the early 20s, but now it's, it's, it's like in, in the cosmos. I can't say how big it is because there isn't no limits on our love. And I feel when it is our time, if there's such a... I really feel we're being the next dimension, next life. Our love, how many years we've been apart, it's never died. It's never died. I love you so much, Ruth. I know it sounds, people think, so corny. Every cell of fibre of my being and my soul, even when this body's gone, it's never going to die. Never, never. And thank you for having the faith in me second time round and forgiving. You know, I know lots gone on, but thank, thank you so much, Ruth. I just... Sometimes love don't feel enough, but I love you so, so much. Love you. Flipping heck, look at that. And I, I'll have to redo <laughs> mine now. How do you follow that? I have to redo mine. <laughs> Go ahead, Ruth. We'll give you the last word. It doesn't matter to me whether I live in a cardboard box. It doesn't matter to me if we don't have any money. The fact is that you and I are together and you can't buy that and that's the richness of our love. Ruth and Jew took their second chance at love and have never let it go. To hear the full story, go to episodes 7 and 8. As we conclude this series, it seems fitting to finish where we started with Dennis and Karen and their extraordinary Happily Ever After story. In our first two episodes entitled In Our Own Sweet Time, we met these high school sweethearts who fell for each other as teens in the 1950s. They were young, passionate, and incredibly smitten. She just made me feel, <laughs> she just made me feel uh, alive. I can recall him uh, leaning against me on the side of the garage, putting his arms around me and kissing me. And I thought I was going to explode. I was so excited. But after some months together, enjoying the rapture of young love, their fairy tale world is turned completely upside down. And the doctor came in and said, you are pregnant. It's decided that Karen will put their daughter up for adoption. The trauma of this heart-wrenching experience creates a burden between the young couple that their relationship just can't bear. Karen and Dennis part ways and eventually lose touch, but they never forget each other. The corner of my heart, there's a place for my high school sweetheart. Her name was Karen Lehman. Try as we might to run away from feelings over the years, at some point down the road, the truth catches up with us. That corner of Dennis's heart niggled away at him for years. Fifty years, in fact. Then, one day, Dennis is at a political fundraiser dinner. 
everyone is loosening up with a party game. One of the hosts asks the group a question. If your primary physician gave you 60 days to live, who is one person you'd like to take out to dinner? Automatically, just an automatic, it just roll out of, of, out of my heart, I suppose. I said, Karen Lehman. Right there at the dinner table, Dennis is hit with the reality that Karen Lehman is almost certainly still the love of his life. But a lifetime has passed. Could their teenage love, dormant for five decades, really be awoken? The day after the dinner party, Dennis makes the decision to try and find Karen. And of all the unglamorous places to search for love. So then the next day, a friend of mine asked me to join him in LinkedIn. Dennis looks Karen Lehman up on LinkedIn. She's the third one down on the list. The third one. Who would have thought that it could be so easy? But there she is, her profile picture illuminated in his eyes. She has the same deep brown eyes and the same smile that sets his soul alight, even after all these years. He calls her office. Would you happen to have an employee there named Karen Lehman? She said yes, and my heart skipped a beat. The receptionist at Karen's company won't connect Dennis directly to her, so he leaves a message and waits for her to call back. I, I was nervous. I was in my office, and, and I was pacing. I was looking out the window, and I was pacing back and forth. And I, the first thing I said, damn it, call me. You, you got my number. Karen sits in her Washington office and carefully dials Dennis's number, ready to speak to him for the first time in nearly 50 years. I just wanted her to call me in. And it was just exciting. It really was exciting. Then the first thing she said to me is, uh, How did you find me? They say you never forget your first love. For Dennis and Karen, the saying rings true. Not only did they find their way back to each other, Together, they found and reunited with their daughter, 54 years after saying goodbye. Theirs is a love story for the ages. It's what all the great romance movies are written about. Only, it's better than the movies. It's real life. And it's a testament to true love and its indestructible nature. Each story we've heard over the course of the series is unique, and we hope they have moved or touched you in some way. We hope that you've been able to find yourself in these stories, and that you feel a little more connected and comforted by doing so. I know I have been. I've so loved sharing these stories of serendipitous meetings, joyful loving, heartbreaking difficulties, and fairy tale endings. The great Sufi mystic and poet Rumi once wrote, love is the bridge between you and everything, everything. For love is the very foundation of our human experience. It's our greatest teacher, 
and our most profound endeavor. Nothing good is possible or can happen without it. Love offers no guarantees, and all of us who have endured a broken heart know firsthand the risk of opening ourselves up to another. But we also know that although things can and sometimes do go wrong, the pursuit of true love is more than worth the risk. Because when it all goes right, well, what a sweet reward. I'm Tate Diggs, and this has been You Had Me at Hello. I'm Tate Diggs, and this has been You Had Me at Hello. I'm Tate Diggs, and this has been You Had Me at Hello. Yeah! You Had Me at Hello is a Sony Music Entertainment production. It's hosted by me, Tay Diggs. The series producer is Martha Miller. The production coordinators are E.K. Agbatolo and Lily Hambly. Kat Moran is the production manager. It was written by Femi Keeling, Nicole Perkins, and the production team. Alciona Mick composed the original music. Scoring and sound design by Tom Drew. Isis Thompson, Louisa Field, and Tay Diggs are the executive producers. Special thanks to Jez Nelson, Chris Skinner, Julia Stevenson, and Karen Lancini. <laughs>